0: Hello, and welcome to Automating Success Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Langton, and with me as always, my co-host and daughter, Julia Langton. I'm a serial entrepreneur and president of Langton Group, working towards uniting the landscaping industry and helping everyone to not only survive, but thrive during the upcoming automation revolution. Our goal with this show is to inspire all of our listeners to incorporate automation into their business and maximize the associated benefit for your business and employees by sharing experiences, insights, and amazing interviews with the best thought leaders in the industry. We will also be chronicling the growth of mine and Julia's newest automation-focused startup venture, Automated Outdoor Solutions. Now let's get the show started. Rise up this morning. Everyone, This is Joe Langton with Automating Success Show, and this is Julia Langton, and this is George and Katie. I'll let you guys completely introduce yourself first and last name because I don't like to have the risk of butchering anything, but uh, <laughs> uh, in, in the meantime, before, before you guys fully introduce yourself, we like to have people pick a song on uh, this podcast, and uh, I want you guys to explain the song you picked and why you picked it.
1: Okay, so my name is Dr. George Holmes. I'm CEO of Hire Henry. We provide commercial landscapers with heavy-duty robotic lawnmowers. So we're going to talk a little bit about what our background is throughout the podcast, of course, but um, a lot of background in developing research robotics, autonomous robots, decided to get into the landscaping industry, did a lot of mowing and cutting in my younger days with my grandfather.
2: So my name is Katie Moreno Bonnet. I'm actually from Colombia, South America. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I'm the CEO of Hive Henry. You're just explaining a little bit what we're doing. And I've been part of it for a while now. So, yeah. And I think with regard to the question about the song, uh, we picked the song due to the current circumstances, you know, pandemic, socially, everywhere. I think everything is going a little bit chaotic. And... And we have our world saying, my aunt says all the time, she told me growing up, um, Katie, everything in life have a solution except death. And this song really reminds me of that. Like, don't worry, everything will be fine at the end of the day as far as things go. So it's pretty interesting.
0: That's a great attitude to have. <laughs> I think we are completely aligned in that, Julia and I feel the same way. You know, there's a lot of chaos going on, but one thing that we know is, you know, time seems to heal all if you look at it like that and you know you 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 just you got to move on and take a look at past mistakes and make a better future that's the way i look at at life you know so so yeah so so um so we're you know we're going to talk a a lot about where we're at currently but we always like to learn about the younger uh the, the younger ourselves right so Whichever one of you guys wants to start first with uh, the younger version of you and how you got here, what inspired you to be sitting in the chairs across on this beautiful Zoom call podcast we have, you know, um, get, get, get us a general background that gets us to present day.
1: Okay. So in high school, I actually went to two high schools, one for academics and a different vocational school where I studied auto mechanics. And I uh, really fell in love with working on Honda cars and doing a lot of maintenance and repairs on those. And my goal was to graduate from high school and go to a post-secondary vocational school where I could then become like a master mechanic and work for Honda, preparing their cars. And my grandma said, well, why don't you consider engineering? If you go into engineering, you can design cars and um, apply for Missouri S&T, which is in Rolla, Missouri and got into the mechanical engineering program, and I got my dream job, Joe. I got a job working for Honda up in Columbus, Ohio, where they produce all the Honda CRVs and Honda Accords. And I got in there, I learned a lot, especially about robotics. They use a lot of robotics on the manufacturing line. But came back to Missouri S&T and decided I wanted to get into something different. And I was really enjoying this idea of robotics. So um started looking at different research opportunities in research robotics and got uh, an opportunity to do some research and fell in love with the field and I thought back to my younger days when I used to cut grass with my grandfather and uh, thought about the the drudgery involved with cutting the grass and said this could be a perfect application for robotics. Yeah so we
2: um, I think my upbringing was different than yours. Actually, um, I went to high school part, like all my life in Colombia. Uh, in Colombia, we only have 11 years of high school, like all the way to school to end. And I was about to enter my last year and I got offered a scholarship to play basketball in a high school down in Wichita, Kansas. Um, so I went there and I started playing basketball and stuff. Did the, the next two years there. I finished my high school, I graduated, and it was time to move on. I actually wanted to be in the Air Force, in Colombian Air Force, of course. I wanted to be a pilot. So, I mean, I came to the U.S., and I like it. So I was like, well, I cannot be part of the U.S. Air Force since I'm not from here. So I decided to go to college. I got an offer to play basketball again for a juco up in Kansas City, and I just started uh, studying aerospace engineering because my dream was to be a pilot. So I was like, close enough. I designed the airplanes at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot fly them, but I can design them. So I played two years there. And then I I found a school down in a little town called Rolla, Missouri, to play basketball that that they can pay me. And they had my major. That was the other complication, finding aerospace engineering. So finally, I got here and... uh, It didn't last more than a year after I changed to mechanical engineering. And I met George, actually. And he was like part of the move because he showed me what was robotics and all this other cool stuff. I actually did research with him uh, prior to that. And then I was like, yeah, forget about aerospace. I'm going mechanical, which is pretty cool. So here we are. And here I'm sitting down now. I played four years of college basketball, and now I'm done. (laughs) I mean,
0: <laughs> so, first of all, you two are both very impressive people. First, you said you went to two high schools. I, 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 I've never heard such a thing before, so that's kind of crazy in itself. And, and, and then to hear how you ended up in the United States through basketball and the scholarships. I mean, that's like, that, that, that's just, that's a dream in itself for, for so many people. So, um, I'm, I'm quite impressed. So, hats off to both of you. So, so what was it that made you realize, uh, you know, that said, okay, forget the aerospace the thing and I'm going to get into mechanical engineering. Explain, explain what, how George inspired you to say, changing it all. Because, because that's the way I see it from this side, what happened, you know.
2: Yeah, it was, it wasn't, he was little, settled about it. I was aerospace and I apply actually for research. I didn't got accepted into it. Uh, so I already met George, we were friends already, and I told him about it, like, I was interested into, like, research and doing stuff, and by accident that semester, just pure accident, I took a programming class uh, to program stuff, actually, that was for computer science majors. It wasn't for me, it was a pure mistake, I just pushed through the, the situation, but I was <laughs> sure and completely that as soon as I finished the semester, I would have never seen this again, I hate, I hate it with the passion Hated it. <laughs> so I told George that I was interested in research, that I was looking, this and that. And he said, Oh, okay. He helped me re- uh, sending some emails to some professors and stuff. Then one day, I'm not kidding you, he texted me. It was not the best day, to be honest, but he saved the day that they saying, Katie, I have uh, an idea for you. Can you come tomorrow to my office? And I was like, I get it. <laughs> well, but he can say it. <laughs> You a lot of personal problems at that moment, and so I went the next day. I was like, I have nothing to lose. It was finals week. I want to um, phrase that it was finals week. Yeah,
3: okay, those are rough.
2: Yeah, so it was rough. rough. <laughs> it was it wasn't the best moment to meet with him. And he said, Katie, I have this project. He make it sound super simple, super easy, like. I've got this research for you if you're interested. And and as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is for a programmer. This is for a person that knows how to code. I am not the best. I'm not suited for this. I cannot do it. And I keep, like, pushing him, like, you need to find somebody better, not me. So he was like, no, I think you'll be fine. It's super simple, super easy. So he just gave me one, like, he made it sound super simple. One little work there, and I was like, okay, whatever. So I had to transfer some programming language and stuff. Um, So after a week, I come back to him and I tell him, hey, George, I'm sorry for the time that you took me, but here goes, here is the project. Here I give him back the project that he requested. Uh, It was all programming, nothing to do with aerospace, nothing to do with nothing uh, that I have learned. More than that, one mistake of class I took. So he was like, whoa, I didn't expect you to finish this. This was the project for the whole summer, for the upcoming summer. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. <laughs> I really didn't know that that was the case to me. So then he just started giving me more, and I ended up doing quite a lot of research that summer. We actually uh, connected some cameras, high-speed cameras, actually the ones cameras that they use for 2K, like NBA 2K and Mayhem and all of those video games. I program those cameras and collect all the data for position data that George later on used into his PhD, right? Yep. His thesis. Yep.
1: yep, so I'll just add a little bit to that real quick. I had started my PhD program already, and when Katie told me about some of her interests in research, I talked to my advisor and I said, let's try to carve out a project that can be good and give some good experience here, both for, for me from a like high level management type perspective. And like, I knew Katie would figure it out and then she could teach me. So I felt like I could learn two things at once. And uh, like she said, we gave her the project and she had it figured out within a week. Mind you, it's finals week. She had basketball, she had all this stuff going on. She had it figured out within a week and I was highly impressed. So that's when we said, okay, let's find more projects. Let's keep working. And then we started talking about the landscaping industry And we ended up getting a grant through the National Science Foundation, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit.
2: Yeah, so then after that, after doing all that summer, all that research into mechanical engineering and stuff uh, and robotics, I was like, this doesn't sound that bad. And George made one question I will never forget. He asked me one day as we were walking and talking about the project, he said, Katie, do you like aerospace engineering or do you like the name of it? So as I walk away. I'm like, no, I like, I like airplanes and stuff. I answered back to him, like, this is my thing. And he was like, Name me one airplane. I was like, um. <laughs> 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 oh. So yeah, he, really, he really called you yeah, out there,
0: I think. It, it, yeah, in a subtle way, but it, yeah, you know.
2: Yeah, so I didn't say nothing back. I was like, you know, I'm letting go. And throughout the whole summer and that semester, I enter into one more semester of private space. I keep thinking about that question back in the back of my mind. And then I was like, "This is it. I need to go mechanical. This is not for me."
0: Well, George, good job bringing her over to this side. You know, I, <laughs> I, 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 hearing her talk, I think it's you're you're gonna you're gonna do a lot of great things for our industry, and it's pretty exciting. I I, I think uh, it's you know, so I'm I'm 41 years old, so I'm not I don't I don't consider myself an old guy yet, but I, I'm not I'm not young like you guys anymore, and it, it's it's. You you know, our industry's in such a need for like an evolution um, and a retrofit. And it's people like you guys that are doing it. Um, And it's kind of, you know, it's going to take people like myself to get out of their old habits and old ways and invest in the things you guys are working on. And I just think we're going to have a completely different industry in the next decade. And it's super exciting. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, you guys have you've kind of you brought up this research study and in, in, in the grant. So, the first thing I wanted to kind of unravel a little bit is, you know, how did how did the opportunity or the grant to do this study even come up? You know, how I think a lot of our listeners would want to know even how that that happens in the first place, and then and then from there we'll just get right into then, you know, once you unwrap that a little, like uh, just get us right into the study and, and how that process was and um, your guys' findings. Yeah, sure. So before Katie was even in Roller, in fact, <clears throat> I
1: had already started researching landscaping through a program through my university where they gave me an opportunity to have some, some small funds to travel around the state of Missouri. Reached out to commercial landscaping companies, reached out to universities, high schools, groundkeepers to figure out how do you maintain properties and what are some of your biggest challenges? Well, once Katie and I met, this was 2018, we saw that the National Science Foundation had a program, program called i And with i you're able to submit a proposal for an industry that you wanna study that you believe have a pressing problem. And on the back end, you have to have uh, demonstrated that you have technology that can impact that industry. We're given a lot of the work that had been done prior to developing robotic lawnmowers that that we had done within our research lab through my PhD program. We drafted up a very competitive proposal and we were notified that we were accepted. And a part of that program is the National Science Foundation gives groups like us funds uh, roughly $50,000 give or take to travel all around the United States. So we did just that. We went to over seven states, including our previous study added with this study, we talked to over 300 plus landscape and organizations. And we went to the GIE, we went to the GIE maybe two or three years now um, to learn about what are the biggest problems and and what, what are some areas where the industry could be improved. And we got to network and learn from a variety of really cool folks. So six major outcomes that popped out from our study. And as we're going through this, Joe, and Julie, I'll mention that um, the listeners can go to our website and they can follow along with what these main points are. If you go to www.hirehenry.us, and down at the bottom it says landscaping study. If you click on that, you can see all the results for those studies. But it's six main points. I guess Katie can kind of kick us off with the first main point.
3: Oh, yeah, Hold on. on, real quick
1: before you kick it off, just repeat it one more time for the for the listeners. Here, hirehenry.us. Awesome website where you can follow along with those main points
0: okay all right so i'm sorry to take it away right. take I, it away <laughs> yeah it's just important I, I want people to be able to get to that study i think it's I honestly uh, i just have to say like when i talked to you for the first time i think it's it, it's a it's a great piece for people to actually you know there's a lot of naysayers I, I just wanted to say real quick saying there is no problem in the industry and and we're fine and uh and we're not you know, um, and I, I, so I think it's it's awesome the work you guys did just with that alone, not to mention what the other things you're doing that we're going to get into. So anyways, go ahead. now.
2: No, no, I was going to say, do you guys have any questions before about it, like all that you're stuck before getting to these points before we go there?
0: No, not unless you want to add anything else. I, I think you was very articulate and yeah. got it straight out. I mean, this I is like, this is like video podcast video. heaven right here, you know, so <laughs>
2: Yeah, so basically the first main point, and I want to recall this, was we found out that the unpredictable and unreliable um, nature of the workforce, like people show up sometimes and sometimes not. Well, we can go in depth into that more later on. But at the same time, we found out that there is unpredictable solutions to it right now. Like the current solutions are unpredictable too. So already landscaping is unpredictable with the fact that if it rains, you cannot cut and then you're adding other more unpredictable things into it that is just pretty chaotic. And so one of the solutions that is being proposed out there is the H2B visa program. Uh, I don't know if, uh, I know a lot of people are aware of this program. It's basically they bring people to the US for, from other countries for a season, and then they, come back, they go back to their countries after the work is done for that season. But it is so unpredictable for very reasons. First, is a lottery system. So if you go, before it used to be first come, first serve. Now it is a lottery system that randomly they pick if they give you the amount that you want or if they not. So already that's super unpredictable. So if you invest your money in there, you might get the, the worker, you might not. Mm-hmm. So if you are planning to have 10 workers for this season, for this upcoming season, and all of them are H2B, you might get them, you might not. But you're already planning of getting work done with those 10 people that you're Planning to happen, so it's unpredictable in that, that nature. It, it is a lot of politics and regulations around it. Like it depends on who is in uh, in charge, what laws they want to come around it, and so it makes it more chaotic as we go on. Uh, but not only this program is not only for landscaping; it's primarily given for landscapers, but it also supplements like fishing. like uh, for maids, like for any other industry are also taking advantage of that H2B program. So only 49% out of the total amount of visas that are given are only for landscaping, 49%. So it's not that many for to solve the real problem the landscaping have right now. So uh, roughly there is given 66,000 visas a year. But they are break down into two seasons, 33,000 for the first season and then 33,000 for the second season. So, in reality, only 33,000 can be acknowledged for landscaping because the season starts, the the worker can come to the US April 1st until September 30, which is perfectly what landscaping season is, especially in uh, states like. Missouri, Illinois, and all around this area. But the other half is more for uh, October 1st to March 1st. Unless you're doing uh, more than just mowing and landscaping outdoors and you're doing snowing, then it will be feasible for you that time. But the other one is the one that you want to apply. So it's pretty competitive to get in. Uh, It costs a lot of money to get there, roughly just for one worker to bring it here to the U.S and do all the paperwork by yourself without hiring lawyers, which normally you need, is a between at $1,500 to $3,000 just for one worker. And normally you don't want to just bring one worker, but more than that. So it can come up to even $10,000 just for one worker to come. And it's still landscapers are willing to do these to bring people because they cannot find people enough. And, I mean, also... Another thing that we have found out throughout all these studies that we did is that a lot of landscapers, we said, well, right now, when we start doing it, um, they were like, well, right now, the unemployment rates are so low that we cannot find people. And I was like, yeah, that completely makes sense. Nobody wants to do such a hard work. Uh, I don't blame them. And then as COVID hit and we still talk with landscapers, we still uh, ask them how their season went. They still say, even though unemployment rates went up high, like ever before, we still cannot find the workers. So uh, we find out that a lot of people, our generation, prefer to be under AC conditions, working at a Wendy's. I mean, uh, that is not seasonally nature, that is not that work that hard in your body. Even if they get paid less at a Wendy's, at a McDonald's, then a landscaper can even pay you double than that but still people our generation will not take it. Yeah. So I think I would, that brings into the next point that George will touch into.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of landscapers that we've talked to, they know that to be a fact, the challenges with the H2B program, folks that have considered the program or participated in the program, they know the challenges and NAOP and a lot of other folks are doing a lot of hard work to try to fix the challenges with the H2B program, but you know, it's a million workers in the landscaping industry. If you have 33,000 that are coming in through the H2B program, that's not gonna be enough, right? So when we look, and that's part of what makes what we study so special, we talked to folks in our generation and we tried to sell them on the idea of joining the landscaping industry, Um, especially since we had met so many companies that were looking for workers, said, hey, here's an opportunity. And to Katie's point, some of the challenges that popped out, of course, is dependent on the job position, but the physical demand of the work, the severe heat, we all know what, what landscaping entails, especially if you're working 10 hours a day out in the sun. So we were surprised by how many folks were like, okay, yeah, I'll take a look at the landscaping industry. It sounds interesting. But once we get into kind of the details of what the work entails, a lot of people struggle at that point. And I don't know, Julie, maybe you can even you can even comment on this because I know you're studying business, right? Yeah. Business management. Business management. Yeah. A lot of the folks that we talk to, they're interested in owning their own business. Right. They want to have this feeling of of being the boss, if you will. And when they look at a position in landscaping, they don't want to um, work under someone doing a task that they may deem as unrewarding yeah
3: way. I agree with that for sure I think a lot of people my age my generation even going with what Katie was saying they don't want the hard work they want the AC I think everyone in my generation actually is that way I feel like I'm one of the outliers like I really don't care I just want like I would rather have the higher rate work harder but even just looking at everyone around me I and mean, business management is everyone I talk to at school like or I mean I guess yeah like we're all going to be in the same classes but any person I talk to, I never really hear anyone say they're going for any other other degree. Like everyone does want that position of I want to, you know, I want to be in charge. I don't want to take those roles. Like they don't want to be told what to do. Like you said, those tasks. Yeah, I agree with that for sure.
0: Well, and what we're finding in a story I always tell is our stepsons. They they work with us, and and they're uh, ones ones a the a, a, a install technician. Um, you know, cause currently we're using the white system that you know about George and then the, the other one services the bots that we own. But the thing that we found was if I would introduce them at a family gathering or the family says, Oh, what are you doing for Joe? They'd be like, I'm mowing grass. This is earlier on. Okay. I mean, you could literally see how deflated they looked. It didn't make a difference what I was paying them. Okay. They were just deflated. And the biggest thing that I found was, when we would go to a family party after we got into the robotics, if if family members, because we got family all around the country, ask them how they're doing there. I'm a robotic lawnmowing technician, it's awesome. They're pulling out apps, showing them stuff. And, and, and you know, that's important to say, and I just want to say it, it's not even to say like the younger kids or the younger generation, I'm calling them kids, but the younger generation, they don't want to do the hard work and they want to be in air conditioning. It, it's not that they have grown up with technology. So when I bring them to my current landscape situation, I shouldn't say current, five year ago landscape situation, and they see this zero turn lawnmower that needs greased, and grass is blowing up in their face and they need hearing protection. And then they realize like, this guy's crazy. He wants me, you know, he, he made an eight hour route, but we hit traffic. So he wants me to work 13 hours today. I had a a PlayStation party with all my buddies that started at five. This is BS. I don't want to do it. That's what happens. So if you put technology, which is what they want to leave that the job for anyways, to go use technology in their hands at work, they don't feel like they're working. That's an important thing to say, you know, you know, generations 50 years ago's dream job is different than this generation's dream job. And you made a comment. It's not even about pay sometimes. It's about what they're actually doing. You know, so it's like you could take a job at Walmart selling TVs for 10 bucks an hour and pass up the 16 or $18 an hour position with health insurance, because at least you're talking about something you know about.
3: Well, and I'll even add, and then I'll let you guys keep going. But I started, when I started working for LinkedIn Group, I was just inputting bills and stuff into QuickBooks. So I was in the AC and I found myself kind of doing the same thing. Oh, what do you do? I just input bills, whatever. Then I started fixing the robots oh what do you do oh I fix robots but really I'm still in the AC making the same pay but it's way cooler like you're saying to be like oh I actually fix technology I fix robots so I do agree with that
0: if you add the word robot to anything yeah. you do it's cool people are interested <laughs> you know what I'm saying they're like what wait wait, what do you, what do you mean robotic lawnmower are They and, yeah. and that makes anybody light up I mean both of you laughed when I said it I mean It's it's real. I mean, it's this is cutting edge stuff we're dealing with right now. You know. So, anyways, back to you guys. People people (laughs) already know
1: our story. You know, it's it's a big it's a big back and forth because I agree, and I'll challenge landscapers out there. Um, You really want to think about when you give a position to to one of your workers, what's the optics look like on their end? Like Joe, you were saying, you know, when I explain this at a party, what is what does it sound like for them? Or is it a position where they're going to want to post it on their Snapchat or their Instagram? This is the generation where the word clout becomes very important. They want to be able to floss, if you will, or kind of show off what they got going on. So, um, you know, and and again, a lot of people have the labor shortage and they're very aware that they have the labor shortage challenge. But the second biggest thing that a lot of landscapers would mention is that I don't have a labor problem but I wanna grow my business. I wanna increase my revenue. And we say, okay, well, what does that mean? They we say, well, I can sell work all day long, but I don't have the people that are needed to fulfill that work. Well, we said, okay, well, if you don't have the people to fulfill the work, then that really means you have a labor challenge. And a lot of people don't think of it that way. But even if you, if you don't have an immediate labor challenge, if you're trying to grow your business or you're trying to grow revenue and labor is the bottleneck, Particularly if it's daily maintenance, then then it may center back around how do you alleviate that challenge. We know the landscaping industry is extraordinarily fragmented. Uh, the top 50 companies make roughly 15% of the revenue. And an industry like that is wide open for a landscaping company that can leverage technology properly to grow their business. So that's one thing that we're very excited about. That's kind of the third point as we try to summarize this.
0: Sorry, so I just want to add to it is, uh, you know, you talk about labor, shortage, but okay, let's, let's just say uh, labor, that is not a problem anymore. And, and there's a, another million people now all of a sudden, for some reason, want to get in the landscape, you still have to train those people, you know, in order to be scalable, you, it, it, you still have to train that person to do it the, the way the company does it because that's what the customer expects, you know? And people always bring up the fact that, you know, well, yeah, you're a service industry. And I'm like, yeah, it, it, it's, so, you know, we're, we're, I always have to tell my people, like, we're, we're a customer service industry, you know, because people, the consumer expects a happy technician, okay? They expect the same cut every time. They, they want it to look the same. They want, you know what I'm saying? So, so you have to be able to duplicate A system, and Mm -hmm. even using the temporary employee. Okay, if you're lucky enough to get in the lottery, just to you know expand on what you said, and get that employee. That the acquisition cost is fifteen hundred up to ten thousand dollars. There's no guarantee that that person is going to do it the way you want it done. And that customer might tell you that person you brought in, get them off my site, and and, or her off my site. See what I mean? With, With robotics, the consumer gets it's that's something they can expect it's it's the same thing all the time so
1: anyways absolutely no I totally agree I totally agree and you know as we're having this conversation with landscapers you know and they're trying to be consistent across the board and spending a lot of time and energy recruiting folks we ask them well what are the costs associated with having a worker and they would say okay well I pay them about 13 bucks an hour well, that's that's true, but what are the other hidden costs behind that? How much time do you have your HR manager going out to recruit the folks? How many? How much time do you spend at hiring fairs and going to speak at high schools? And what's the overhead associated with a given employee? Meaning, how much time does it take for a manager to adjust routes if somebody doesn't show up for a given day of work? Or, you know, what's the overhead associated with your zero-term more in general? So... My point is a lot of landscapers know their costs extremely well, but there are a lot of landscapers that do not fully understand the complexity and the multi- multi-dimensional nature of their costs, meaning there's a lot behind just how much you're paying your worker per hour. And of course, there's a lot of good workshops and stuff like that that take place at GIE to try to understand and flesh out some of those challenges.
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen those ROI calculators and stuff. And I mean, as a businessman myself, I mean, you, you, I always talk about it, like, there's two problems in the landscape industry. There's, there's the person that used to work for uh, an entrepreneur that got into landscaping, uh, just a business person that started a landscape company, and they understand their numbers. And then that person thinks, doesn't understand that, you know, what that uh, business owner is trying to get them to understand. And they say, I'm going to start my own thing that's where you start to run into the problems because that person can run a successful business with two, three, four trucks. But once they start to try to scale and get larger, the wheels fall off. Right. And it's a kind of a cycle. Um, But but to go kind of off what you said, you know, even the manufacturers don't quite understand the environmental pressure, which you guys brought up. You know what happens when you have to reschedule a workday because it rained. Now you have to have people work on Saturday and pay them overtime. What happens when you're two to three days behind the schedule and you have to mow twice to get rid of the clumps or thatch, or you have to bag more material and haul it back? These are the un these are the unseen uh variables that that happen that those ROI calculators don't even take into account. That's fine. So yeah. anyway, I
1: agree. And we didn't know. When we started off researching the industry, we didn't know how complex this is and all the different nuances that, that arise. So just learning about the, the work that landscapers do is really impressive because it is a challenge. And when you think about everything that a landscaper has to do, and we take, for example, uh, one specific task, which is mowing, something that all four of us here are very interested in, given that we're working with robotic lawnmowers we thought about, okay, well, what does that task provide the landscaper? We're spending so much time, we're spending so much energy to get this task done. What value does it bring to the landscaping company? And in general, it doesn't bring the value, unfortunately. It's not a differentiated activity. It's not going to give you a competitive advantage. We know it's repetitive. We know it's hard to get folks that want to do the work. So I mean, they're doing it in manufacturing already, they're doing it in so many farming, so many different other industries. Offload the repetitive stuff and focus on the things that makes your landscaping company special. your culture, your brand, your reputation, your horticulture, your irrigation. I can go on yeah. for minutes all the things that make your landscaping company special,
0: but it's probably not cutting the grass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, No, I say all the time that grass cutting is the milk for the Oreo cookies, right? Like, like when, when you go into a grocery store, there's a reason the milk's at the back and the cookies are in front of you because they want you to buy that cookie because they might make money on the Oreos, but they're not making any money on milk. They've got to refrigerate it. They've got to keep it cold and it's perishable. Okay. But, but they all have it because they want to drag you through that store for the milk. That's us in landscaping. Like, like we, we, we all do it. We know she she, hate, she makes fun of me for my, yeah, my stupid But, all. but, but it that's out. what it is. So, you know, and you can tell I like Oreos. It's my favorite <laughs> cookie. So, Chips Ahoy or whatever. I like now. Chips Ahoy. <laughs>
3: um,
0: You got a friend over here. She loves Oreos too. <laughs> yeah, okay, but not double stuff, right? I, I like the, the original version. I don't like the double The stuff. regular one. Yeah. But
2: right now they have the Christmas special. I love those ones. But uh, I'll, ones. Okay, I'll have to try
0: the Christmas special. I'll see, I'll see how that is. So another five pounds later, next time you see me on the podcast. (laughs) So, um, so, so, okay. So, yeah. So, okay. So in the study, one of the things I've been wondering is, you know, you you had to talk to a lot of landscapers and I know you're talking to landscapers about robotics in a percentage, you know, and this is something I always want to know for myself because we are very into robotics and, and we do a podcast with people that are into this type of thing. But what you're seeing in general, what percentage of the industry is actually receptive to the idea when you bring it up to them, would you guys say, in your opinion?
1: That's a very, very good question. And, you know, it varies so much. It varies so much. Folks that kick this out the office and say, you're doing robotics? That's not a labor solution. Go. And folks that are saying, okay, I'm ready to buy it tomorrow if you can show me that it works. I would say at least 60% of the people that we talk to are open to the idea. 60% that said, okay, if you can really truly get it to work, if the cut quality is there, if it's efficient, if it's able to get the job done, we see from a business how it can take
0: us to the next level. Okay. Which we think. Now, would you say, because you, you did the study in seven states, right? What, what states did you do the study in, by the way? We started off in Michigan, Michigan? California, Texas. Louisiana,
1: oh, no, excuse me, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Kentucky, Kentucky uh, North Carolina, Missouri. Missouri,
0: yeah. Okay, so what state do you think had the biggest labor problem or was it consistent? Did it did it not make a difference what state you were in if the findings were the same?
2: I would say they was pretty much the same all across the border. It was all of them like labor and they just call it differently. They would say it in a different way but all they will say the same problem. And they say, and the problem they do say, we can get job every day. We can even get people to apply for our jobs. Now it's not even Mm -hmm. people not applying. People apply all across the border, but once let's say I talk to 15, I will end up at the end of the season with one, if that, and I had to train them, I had to give them gear, all of these other things, but it was the same pretty much across the border. And we met a lot of more landscapers in the EIE from different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And they will say the same over and over. And they say, I want to grow my business, but I don't want to deal with training. I don't want to deal with uh, finding the people. I don't want to deal with labor costs and all the other things associated with growing my business in that regard.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I think is interesting, is never talked about is we, um, you know, our company is at the size now where we had to identify you know, the, the the acquisition cost to get an employee hired and trained up. And, and we've identified that's about $3,000 per employee. Okay. And you, you just said by the time you give them the gear and, and the training and stuff like that. And what I think is ironic is when I tell somebody they can buy a robot for a few grand, okay, they're like, that's crazy. That's a lot of money. But really, when you think about it, we spend it already just to get an employee trained up. And, and there's also z- almost zero loyalty in our industry to stay at a, a landscape company. So if if you can find a landscaper, they'll typically leave for ten cents an hour to go someplace else. Um, so so you know you, you'll train somebody up for, for three thousand dollars and they leave anyways, um, which is something to talk about with with automatic mowing also. Um, So then, going back to the study though, so seven, you know, so the seven states, um, is there any state that's more or less receptive when you're talking to a landscaper? So if 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 the same thing is uh, across the board, they all agree that labor shortage is the same. Are there certain states that seem more willing to adapt the automation versus others? Have you seen anything like that, or is it same? Is the answer the same as uh, equal?
1: I don't think there's a particular state that's more interested than others, Uh, but I will say is, especially in the early days, we didn't just talk to commercial landscapers. We talked to high school groundskeepers, we talked to university groundskeepers, and universities, a lot of them are very open to the idea of looking at different types of robotics in their space. And you know, that's a great opportunity for commercial landscapers to step in and say, hey, let me partner with your university and provide these robotic lawnmowers because, you know, no matter who embraces robotic lawnmowers, it is going to require a shift in thinking as to how your business or your department operates. So for landscapers to be able to offer that service, they they want the green piece. We all know that. And they want the efficiency piece, especially with everything that's going on with COVID. A lot of university budgets are getting slashed and they have limits on the number of folks that they can hire within different departments. So my point is universities, college campuses, they seem very receptive to the idea. And a lot of college campuses already outsource their moment. Landscapers out there know that.
0: Yeah. So I think think we've dissected the findings of your study. Um, So explain how that leads into, if you hopefully you'll divulge a little bit on this. I want to I want the audience to learn more about Hire Henry. Uh, okay, and, and the partnership uh between you two on that. Uh kind of break that that down for us if you could.
1: Yeah, of course. So one of the things that is very, very important, especially going forward, is to recognize that there aren't a lot of options for commercial robotic lawnmowers currently available. And you know, Joe and I, we've talked about this from a high level, but we can even dig into this a bit now. You know, Husqvarna and a lot of other manufacturers that are making um, robotic lawnmowers, their extent to to which they're designing their products for specifically commercial landscapers is limited. So we think that as more robotic lawnmowers become available, particularly taking the technology and merging it with a business model that's going to provide that ROI for commercial landscapers, that's going to be a huge selling factor. That's one of the things that we focused on after doing the study is being sure that we're developing technology and a business model that's going to have the ROI for the landscaper immediately involved. What's your thoughts on that, Joe?
3: Yeah, so
0: so I agree. So I think with the current setup, you've got to take, this is what I've been doing. I've been taking what's already there and making it work to gain the market share, but my eyes are constantly open on the latest, greatest solution for the industry. And, you know, I think that's, it's an opportunity for people like us. And when I say us, the people on all of us, all the four of us, because we're really, we're so early to the game. Right. Um, I think that, but I think the, the, it's almost like, I feel like it's our duty. One of the reasons we have this podcast is since we are early to the game, to instead of hoard the knowledge, to kind of explain and expose the the the, the best and the worst hmm. of the technology, but then to realize it's not every piece has to be all inclusive. So there's going to be cool. a robot that works best, you know, in the yards that are an acre and a quarter and under. Okay, there's going to be a robot that works best. For municipalities and, and 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 you you have to just be willing to keep your eyes in, in mind open to the endless possibilities of tech of the technology and then i think you'll be able to capture everything the space can offer I, I, that, that hopefully that doesn't sound like a big, but that, that, that's how it I made sense all really. right <laughs> I, I was literally just spitballing there was it was literally flowing out as as i thought it but that's it yep yeah.
1: There's going to be robotic lawnmowers to your point, Joe. It's going to work best for some folks and it's going to be other ones that work best for other folks. The most important thing is keep an open mind, look at the different mowers and see what works best for different landscaping companies, because, you know, there's, there's so many different ways that the, the, the um, technology can be approached. And one of our key takeaways, I think, you know, if you want to walk away with one tidbit to consider from our research findings is that look at the robotic mowers and consider developing a department or a small unit within your landscaping company that's going to take on the challenge of incorporating technology within the business. And we've met landscapers that have already done this. You think it's very, very impressive. It's a good way of approaching it. But assign at least one person the task of looking at battery technology, of looking at software, of looking at robotic mowers. And maybe that person is a younger person that you see has a lot of potential to one day take over the company or be in a senior management position. But it solves so many different challenges by approaching it that way. You get a 20-year-old that, that, you know, once the cloud piece. So now they're saying, you know, I'm CTO of X, Y, Z landscaping company. They can go out there and they're advocating for your company. And then you're doing a lot of training and leadership development to get them to the next level. There's, there's different levels of autonomy. You know, when you look at, for example, self-driving cars. So and I'm going to get into the way that we've decided to approach developing our robotic lawnmowers here after this statement here. But there's different levels of autonomy. And right now, we're seeing those levels start to progress, and we're going to see them all continue to get better over time. Our approach has been uh, one single goal, which is to develop a robotic lawnmower that's indistinguishable from a human operator on a zero-turn lawnmower. So that's in terms of the operation, you know, how well does it mow in straight lines, that's the cut quality. We want all of that to be indistinguishable from a human on a zero-turn. The second thing that we really wanted to look at is how a zero-turn lawnmowers is already designed. And as us being mechanical engineers, we wanted to break that down to first principles. So why is a, a zero-turn lawnmower the size that it is, right? Well, a lot of it is because it's carrying around a 200-pound person all day. So if we get the 200-pound person off, then maybe we can make the size a little bit more compact. Maybe we can make it safer and maybe we can make landscapers more efficient as they're moving um, their lawnmowers around. And of course, we've seen RC mowers that have already started to move that direction where they've taken a large zero-turn zero lawnmower type structure and made it a lot smaller. So we think there's going to be a lot more of that going forward. And that's one thing that we're excited about and that we're focused
0: on improving. George, can I, 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 I want to expand on what you said about the size yeah. of the mowers. Yep. So this has happened in all of our service industries. It's happened in the snow removal industry and it's happened in in the landscape industry. Okay. And and what it is, is this, as the cost of the equipment gets more expensive. Okay. It's more expensive to manufacture and distribute equipment and the cost of the labor increases. Okay. So like you said, people are on average hiring at 13 bucks an hour, but if we went back 10 or 15, maybe 20 years, it was probably seven bucks an hour. Right. So, how, how, do, how do the landscapers compete when the cost per acre of mowing seems like it's been the same? I mean, I started doing this in 2005, and the cost per acre of mowing, it's like pulling teeth to get an extra five bucks an acre. And, and actually, I, I've been seeing it decrease with all these, you know, national or, you know, big national bids that go out now. And it's, it's, I don't even know if you guys have seen, but like a guy like myself compete in online auctions. So what will happen is you put in your best price first. And then people just keep low bidding, low bidding. And then you have to enter it knowing this is my seat, my, my basement. I can't go any cheaper than this. Right. So how do you do it? Well, now, instead of doing it with a 48 inch stand on unit, I need a 72 inch because I need to be able to mow a, a bigger chunk in one pass. That's why the equipment is so large. And it's important to talk about an automation. You don't need it to be big if, if you don't, if you can do it more efficiently. It's all about robotics and automation is about efficiency and less about moving mass. Snow removal, same thing. Instead of having an eight foot snow plow, you go 20 foot box pushers on big heavy front unloaders. So anyways, I, I just, it's something else that I just wanted the the, the, the listeners to think about um, because I think it's an objection that I hear as a dealer from people I talk to when I show them the pieces we current, ha, currently have, like, that thing is way too small to, to do this. And it's like, you got to get size out of the equation. So anyways. Um, so. so agree. agree. and I'll,
1: I'll even build on that and say, even for landscapers that say I need a 72 inch cut or I need a 60 inch cut, I believe we'll see robotic mowers that'll be able to have that size that's needed for making a cut pass but still does not need to be as large as a zero-turn lawnmower. And that's that's one of our focuses, is making sure that we can develop something to to deliver on that point. Now, that's a differentiating factor because there aren't a lot of robotic mowers that are focused on doing that. But in addition to that, since there's going to be a range of autonomy levels for these different robotic lawnmowers, we know on the front end, from the conversations that we've had with landscapers is that a lot of folks don't want to have, to, to, to stop whatever task they're doing, whether that's trimming, whether that's uh, talking to a customer, whatever the case may be, they don't want to stop their task and have to go and tend to the robotic lawnmower. So one of the things that we're focused on is having a remote monitoring with our robotic lawnmowers. And what this means is that there'll be um, an operator that's able to monitor our robotic lawnmowers in real time and if the robotic lawnmower does approach a certain situation that it doesn't know how to handle, the remote operator can tap in and say, hey, here's how you can handle that situation. And the operator has all the important features that it that they need to make that decision, like camera feeds and stuff like that. So a lot, and that's being done already, by the way, in military drones and in mining equipment and manufacturing, that somebody's sitting in a room and they're looking at, you know, a hundred different machines out in the field. So we think landscaping and robotic mowers are going to eventually go that direction.
2: And also it also gives a level of safety Mm -hmm. to the landscapers and a feeling of, you know, there is somebody behind it. Like this is not going to take over like Black Mirrors and Netflix type Mm -hmm. of mood. Like it gives a safety factor. And even like sometimes humans make mistakes. Robots probably less likely than human. That's for sure. Less likely than human. But having an extra pair of eyes, washing over it, over the technology is always a great safety feature to be having for robotic models. Absolutely.
0: Well, it's important to add for people that don't understand robotics like we do. When when a a robot or an automatic piece of machinery encounters an issue, its program makes it stop. It just stops. So it's important to know when you guys are talking about your concept is it sounds to me like your guys' thought process is, okay, so the person checks in the machine, uses the cameras that are around it, figures out what made the machine stop. And if it's a bird that flew past it, we know we can we can override that reset and let it move again. On the flip side, if there's a five-year-old kid that thinks the machine's cool and keeps running circles around it, we leave that machine sit until the kid gets bored and walks away and then you're running I think that's right. That, that's the thought process. Exactly. It. That's,
1: that's spot on, Joe. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So in addition to that, I'll say, you know, a lot of different business models will, will come out to deploy the technology, the landscapers, you know, if if folks want to learn more about the technology that we've developed or some of the business models that we've considered, go to hire We got demonstrations of our fully functional prototype on the website where you can see it working you can schedule a virtual demo or an in-person demo. We can show you more about what we've been working on. But this this is an exciting point for the industry, I think. Now, I just
0: want to know why I haven't got an in-person demo already. When are you guys coming out to see us in real time? Is are we waiting for COVID to finish up? What's happening? Up in Chicago, right? Yeah, up in Chicago. I I'll I'll buy a nice Chicago pizza like every other person that comes up. We'll we'll have a blast. Yeah. Okay, and, we- and, yeah, you know. <laughs>
1: We can definitely get that schedule. We'll make it
0: happen. Absolutely, right.
1: Especially make this happen. In Chicago,
0: yeah, you I know, mean, you know, the uh, might be not coming at the best time of year. You know, we might have to see when we're going to do it, but we we we've got to make it happen. So I have seen the video. One of the reasons why this relationship started to the people listening, and I, I think it's totally awesome. There's uh, I I saw the potential value from several. Different industries, and we're talking about grass cutting right now, I think from when I saw your video and i'll I'll keep this broad some of the things that um you can do with the things you guys are looking at I think is it's almost an untapped potential you know it starts with the lawn mowing, but you can use it in so many other segments in the outdoor service industry um so I urge anybody to go on and, and actually take a look at it um, so
3: well, so I'm curious with what you guys do. What are your biggest challenges, and what lessons have you learned from from all of that, or from any challenges you guys have faced?
1: Your question, Yona.
3: Go
1: ahead, think about it. Okay, I'll say that a lot of the robotics technology, you know, from us studying robotics, it's, it's it's not that complicated stuff from a technology perspective. It's not easy. Don't get me wrong, but it's not that complicated. You know, especially we get people when we're testing they'll stop their car and be like, oh man, that is so cool, that's so neat, can I take pictures? Which I think is a great selling point for, for landscapers out there that's looking to grow their, their business. But, you know, the robotics piece, we can figure that out. And eventually, you know, a ton of folks will figure that piece out. The biggest challenge, really, is the business model. It's talking with landscapers, and to your point, Joe, being sure that they understand what job the, the robotic lawnmower is doing because it's not doing the job of your typical zero turn. It's doing the job of the zero turn plus a person sitting on top of the zero turn. And we want to capture that value. We want to explain that value. We want to have a business model that incorporates all of that. So that's, that's the biggest challenge. Of yeah.
2: And I mean, adding to what you said, biggest challenge is for people to understand that you are just not paying for a machine. right? You're paying for a machine and a worker in one. It yeah. does not look like, but it's a machine and a worker. And a lot of people have like, no, no, no this is a machine, more than that. yeah, It's
0: more yeah. than that. Yeah, you, you know, the biggest people will have to overcome, I, I, I believe is actually once the contract was adopted, the next group of people are the banks um, and lenders, right? Because lenders are used to looking at uh, a typical P&L of a landscaper. And they say, okay, yeah, they they buy that $13,000 000, zero turn, they're going to put a $40,000 a year employee on that zero turn. So really that zero turn is, you know, 55, 54, $53,000, depending on, on the piece of equipment. Um, and that's the thing that I that I always, I mean, even the banks, because that's the level we've gotten into now, you know, where we're looking at some of these deals where we're talking about you know, 9,000 to 40,000 acres of mowing with mm-hmm. robotics right now. And then to get an investor to understand. So there's there's two things I, I'm just telling you guys. There's the, the first is to get the people that want to buy it to understand it. And then secondly, to get the people that are going to have to be willing to lend to it to mm-hmm. understand that you're getting two for one. That's right, and yeah. you're not paying $9, a 100, for workman's comp insurance, and you don't have the variability of that workman's comp. And God forbid something does happen to that employee, okay, um, who that zero turn flips over and they get trapped underneath it. that You know, people ask me how we sleep at night with the, with the amount of robots that we have mowing, and I tell them much easier than if I had an employee out working at night because at the end of the day, if my robot gets run over or stolen, I just replace it. I don't have to. I don't have to look a family member in the eye when they come to get that person's check or their belongings that were working for my company that got injured. You know, I, I just yeah, I tell you, it's
3: just some plastic and some boards. It's yeah, it's, it's, life anymore. goes on. It's
0: just move on. And then I also say, from a level of management, when I'm training a young, uh, younger generation and wave of managers it's so much easier because there's not any emotion tied in. You know, it's like, I mean, people people don't value middle managers in landscape companies enough to have to answer to someone like myself to say, hey, we've got to make X amount of margin and we have to keep our customers happy. But the middle managers have to keep those employees that they've acquired there. So when that employee doesn't feel good and doesn't want to come in, it's not like you can just say you're done. The customer says, I want you here. But you have to deal with all that. With With robots, it's easy. If that robot is not functioning properly, you take it out of the fleet and you put a fully functioning robot onto that account, problem is solved. Right. Um, so another thing when you're talking about scalability with robotics, it's, it's, it's not personal at all. It's Does it cut the acreage that we bought it for? Once it stops cutting that acreage, we figure out how to replace it.
1: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, uh, both sides here, we already thoroughly believe in the technology, but I think a lot of your listeners, they're going to see it more and more, the value of what we're working on. So, Yeah. You- and
0: I, I know for you guys, the things that I'm saying, you probably already know, but the whole point of this podcast is for people that don't think like us to start to know. So, so, yeah. To,
3: you know, so, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, where do you see uh, let's
0: let's where where do you see your guys's future in five to ten years right like now we sit where we're at expand on where you think the future is going to go we, we know what you're already working on you said go to the website and take a look at it but where do you think uh, you know explain that a little bit from your guys's perspective
1: sure. so Folks that go to the website at HireHenry.us, they'll see our fully functional prototype that's out cutting grass and all that good stuff. This upcoming season, we're coming out with a model that we're gonna be conducting a pilot program with, with a select few of landscaping companies. This is a heavy duty <laughs> version of the prototype that you see on the website currently, it has all the necessary features that, that's gonna bring the value that we've been talking about throughout the show. So that's our immediate goal is focusing on this summer, focusing on our landscaping partners that's going to be testing our robotic lawn more over the summer. Five years. I'm hoping that this will be in, you know, I don't know, 60 percent of landscaping companies across the United States. Right. That's ambitious. Right. For five years, you know. Um, but I think there's a cautionary tale, you know, that we can get from a lot of other industries. For example, let's take Uber. If cab drivers would have embraced Uber, then you know they would be making money out the wazoo, right? But instead, a lot of cab companies resisted against Uber. So I think that the landscapers, once landscapers start to adopt the technology and they're competing with other landscaping companies, we're going to see a phenomenal amount of growth.
0: You agree completely with that, Katie? Or you add anything you want
2: to add? I know, I completely uh, agree with that. I mean, I think, it, like what you said, in 5 years from now, um, hopefully the technology, I know for sure the technology will be way more advanced than we currently see, battery technology, all these other things. And as a company, I know 60% of the landscaping companies is quite a bit, but that's the goal. And I'm looking more forward to this a uh, Short-term goal based our summer. Looking forward for that. So, but no, yeah, I completely agree with yours. Okay.
0: So you you're, you play basketball. I, we haven't heard George. Are you an athlete? What What do you do in your spare time?
1: No, I'm not a big fan of the athletics. I'll read. You know, I'll do programming and technology and stuff like that. But I'm not a big fan of the athletics. I'll leave that to Katie. <laughs>
0: yeah we 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 always we we always like to mess around and ask if People have any uh, health and wellness tips? You know, that, that collectively as we round out the show, you know, just to just to kind of bring us down and, 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 and kind of get get us off the business talk and just get a little comical, right at the end.
1: Well, so, I am I am an avid yogi. I've been practicing yoga for almost eight years.
0: So. No shit. Is so second. so every, this you're the second person. The, the, there, there's uh, our last guest told me he wants to see me doing yoga. The, the, the next time we talk and I, I don't know man I don't know
3: I keep saying we have to do it and I think now maybe, maybe we truly do it's yeah. the second person now I think we, we have come
0: to do up it for the demo, we'll get a
1: yoga session going because you guys do play volleyball right yeah She's a basketball player it helps with injuries and stuff like that to prevent that type of stuff so we'll get a yoga session no, going
2: absolutely I want to be back on that I actually when I met George He was in this yoga stuff. I saw him walking with his little (laughs) mat. And you were a little bit too much. And when he offered me that day that he texted me about coming to his business, it was finals week. A lot was going on in that. He texted me like, hey, there is a yoga session. I actually injured myself lifting weights that that we can, I dislocate my, my shoulder. And so you're saying to me like, hey, come to this yoga session. I'm like, that's stretching. And I'm super competitive. Like basketball is all about competition and I want yeah. to be buddy.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. No, for me, this is too quiet. So I wanted to compete and stuff. And I'm like all this time I just have met George as the person that is super calm, likes to read, kind of in the nerdy side. So I went to yoga and I'm like, whatever, I'm, I'm going, going here because of, of let's see what's up. So I went really good. Like it have really helped with my back a lot and stuff. But always my competitive nature, I was always like looking around I was like, oh, I can bend more than I can <laughs> See, So
0: it's my competitive nature that keeps me from doing yoga because I'm a big, strong dude, but flexibility, not high on the chart for me. So I, I would be like knowing somebody like you is looking around and being like, damn it, she sees I can't bend for shit. Like that's yeah. my problem, you know?
2: <laughs> that happens to be the first time I saw George, I thought he was not going to be, I mean, I don't see him as an athletic person at all, like as I met him uh, at the beginning. So I saw him, I was like, I'm going to beat him. I'm, not, I'm not a collegiate athlete. I've been doing this for a couple of years now. I'm going to be more flexible than him. Yeah, my flexibility wasn't
3: there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't even touch my toes, so I, I guess I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get a yoga. We'll get a yoga session going, and then we'll get a two-on-two volleyball. Match going in a two-on-two
0: basketball match. I mean, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that would be That's fun. fun. So, so here, I'll tell you what. You do those other things with us, I'll, I'll, I'll do the yoga. There so, you go, man. So it's a deal. That's a
3: lot. That's a lot for him to yeah, do Yeah, you got
0: to realize I'm really – I'm stepping out of my comfort zone, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. so But it sounds like it's a good compromise, right? You got – we're doing basketball for you, which you're going to school us on. Oh, right. yeah. That'll be embarrassing. I, yeah. Okay. But just know I'll throw my weight around under the hoop. So I, he I, will. I'm an, he I'm an no equal opportunity sports player, just so you know. Number one, we will do yoga, and you'll far exceed all of us. And then volleyball, she'll she'll be in her element, and I'll just exist in all three. But it'll be okay. Oh. You know? So. <laughs> it's well, a, it's a deal. Yeah. All right, well, we had to truly set up the date. And I, I actually, uh, I, I'm being honest when I say, like, hopefully I can convince you to let us be one of the people testing your prototype. It's it, its its something to be said, um, how large this industry is, and you mentioned how fragmented it is, that everybody's kind of got their own little pilots going on without people even knowing about it, you cool. know? Um, but... But the cool thing knowing that is it's such a massive industry, I mean, from everything I see, 75 to $100 billion um, opportunity. And uh, I think it's awesome to be a part of it, especially when I see the people that are a part of it, because you two are amazing.
3: Yeah, you guys are awesome.
0: Yeah, (laughs) seriously, like just podcast gold right here. I think it's awesome. I'm totally glad we met. And I hope this is the first of many conversations like this. Absolutely. It's just the beginning, man. Awesome. All right. Well, I, I, I think if there's nothing else that you guys want to add, I, I think, I think we're perfect. Perfect time to sign off and thank you guys for your time. Um, it was a blast and I just greatly appreciate it. Let's do it again. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Julie. Thank awesome. You for sure. See you guys.
3: Thanks, guys. Yep.
0: Soon. Have a great one. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to invite you to check out automatingsuccessshow.com where you can watch each episode's best business automation and growth strategies and download Joe's 11 keys to automating your business for maximum growth. Please follow us on Instagram at Automating Success Show for more helpful automating business tips, tricks, and silly memes on maximizing growth and productivity. If you felt any benefit from this show, please let us know by leaving an iTunes review, sharing this episode on social media, and emailing a link to anyone you think would also find benefit.